Thank you and good afternoon. Let's take our Bibles once again and turn to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. We've made it through half of the book, uh, that being history, if you will, and now moving into prophetic word that Daniel unfolded for us, which actually in chapter 7, as we found according to a very similar circumstance from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective in chapter 2, this is Daniel's perspective on it, and we're in the, well, I wouldn't say the middle, but we're certainly within the context and the timeline of this dream, which 2,600 years ago, imagine the panoramic view that God gave to this man, Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, we'll begin reading now in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. And then he wrote the dream and he told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night and behold... The four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. It was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side and had three ribs in the mouth of it. Between the teeth of it, and they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of its four wings of a fowl, the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron iron teeth, devoured and broken pieces, and stamped the residue of the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool, and his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set. And the books were opened. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. 
The saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and the judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. He shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. They shall be given into his hand until a time, and times, and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion, to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cognitations much trouble me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. May God add, I have a special blessing to reading this word. Let's just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father, we thank you for you being a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God. One that we can count on, one that doesn't change. One is not subject to any of humans or any being's whims. You are a sovereign and above all, God. There's no one greater. You have no opposite. You are not rivaled. You are fully and completely in charge. Nothing concerns you or worries you. And yet above all of that, Father, you are a God of love. Father, we come to you today in worship and in honor and glory, asking you now to bless and encourage us through the power of the word. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would use it to go to the innermost part of who we are, there's someone here that does not know you, know Christ personally, that maybe even these moments before us would be a speaking of the Spirit to bring them to yourself. Father, we'll thank you for the word, and as we've said already, we would ask that the Holy Spirit only and exclusively would be our teacher. We are open and receptive, asking for these moments to be instructing, giving us wisdom and strength, encouragement during times of turmoil. We look to you because you are God. You are worthy. We honor you. In Christ's name, amen. As I've said, uh, Daniel, 12 chapters. We went through six of them. Actually, Daniel chapter 6 last week. Um, actually, we go back to, if you think about it, in Daniel chapter 5, we find Belshazzar. And interestingly enough, uh, 
That was the last day of his kingdom. It was the last day of the Babylonians were uh, in the midst of a wild, raucous party within the halls of the palace. All of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, there were fingers writing on a wall. It got very quiet, very fast. And that event actually took place later than what we're here, what we're here in chapter 7. In fact, the first six chapters are about history. And we're not sequential in the sense of Daniel's one, Daniel chapter 1 through 12. This event in chapter 7 is actually about 14 years earlier than chapter 5. So from this perspective, Daniel did not know any other kingdom than the one that had been recognized as the Babylonian kingdom, the one that he had spent with Nebuchadnezzar. And now it says in verse 1 of chapter 7, this was the first year of Belshazzar. This was a time frame that literally he would have been engaged in seeing the first kingdom as Nebuchadnezzar saw it in the image that he dreamed of in chapter 2. Now, this is literally uh, Daniel's perspective. I'm going to say this. This is God's perspective on the world kingdoms and ultimately ending with the, the grand picture of all of this. If you're going to put this on the wall was the coronation of the ultimate king with its duration, its extent, and then the timeline of how that takes place. Now, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, that's the viewpoint from a pagan. Now, you notice even he, this statue or this image literally was made of gold, and you know it went all the way down into clay for the feet. Um, that normally is the way men would look at it, as accomplishments, astonished in the sense of all of the things that man get, the gold and the silver. Um, and, of course, God gave him that vision, that dream, which Daniel interpreted. But the dream that Daniel got would have been from God's perspective. Notice these kingdoms are called beasts. (laughs) I would have to say our world today is beastly. (laughs) That's what God would call it as well. We'll be moving into that in a moment. Even how it's derived in these four beasts rising out of the sea of humanity. But let's talk a little bit about prophecy. The last half of Daniel, as we've said, is is broken into uh, visions or uh, dreams of which God is speaking about future things. There are some in which were done in the kingdom of the Babylonians and some of them were during the Medes and the Persians towards Daniel's last days on earth. Uh, But there are things about prophecy or prophets that I want to make sure that we understand the significance and the sincerity, or I would say the, uh, the overarching, what's the right word I'm looking for? There's, there's a solemnness to it. You don't just get up in the morning and say, oh, well, I think I'm going to talk to the people and then say, I prophesy this. Now, that would be ill-advised, especially in the Old Testament, because if you were wrong one time, yeah, you were stoned to death. Bad idea. <laughs> if you're not sure... Don't say it. Now, I wish that would be taken to a greater extent today. There's a whole lot of people that seem to hold a whole lot about tomorrow that have no clue. Because there are two things that humans or any other being that has been created does not know. The future, and they have no power to make it happen. Omniscience and omnipotence, which literally are gods and gods alone. 
So if we think about it, there was two things that prophecy would do. One, prophecy would literally give us the basis for knowing the truth of God's word. Is it true? Um, There are literally one-fifth of all of Scripture, one-fifth of all verses in the Bible have to do with prophecy. And one-third of those have to do with the second coming. So God's got a lot to say about the second coming, which hasn't happened. So for me now, I'm on, we're in the, in the year 2021, which I'm surprised I remembered to say 21, not 20. It takes me about six months to write the right kind of a check, and uh, you know how that works. At any rate, here we are in 2021, and there's parts of the, of the Bible that still is unfolding. But the really cool thing is, is I have no doubt that it's going to conclude exactly as God has purported it to be. Because he has omniscience, he knows everything about everything before it happened or even after time ends. And he has the power to make it happen. Now, if he's wrong, this being God's word, if he's wrong one time, then I'm going to throw the book away. Because if I can, can't trust him in everything, we can't trust him in anything. Now, God took that to another level. The prophet is just as important to prove that he is of God. And that's why. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 13 for a moment. And I want to show you the seriousness of being a prophet of God. Again, I would want to make sure I had my ducks in a row making sure that God had spoken. I'm actually a little bit ahead of myself. This will be okay. I want to go back to Isaiah as well, but we'll just mix this up a bit. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13, and these are issues or commands regarding false prophets. Chapter 13 and verse 1. 13 and verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, And let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage. Down to verse 10. Thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he has sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now, as you go through the kings of Israel and Judah, you will find that in many instances there were false prophets that were speaking words that were... What should we say? Have, have you ever asked somebody what they thought about it? And they were thinking, potentially, that they want to say to you what you want to hear. <laughs> There's preachers like that today. They tell you what they would think you would like to hear to make you feel better about yourself. I, for one, want to know the truth. Give me the truth. Just lay it out there. Hit it with me so that I have an opportunity, a choice to respond to it. But don't give me untruth. And there was many prophets that literally became the king's right-hand prophet saying what they knew the king wanted to hear. God's very clear. Uh, for just a moment, I mean, it's not very fun, but um, 
I don't know if you wondered about how, an Isra- how a Jewish stoning took place. You don't want to be the recipient. Literally, if there was, and again, it took two or three witnesses. That's another thing. It's important for us today as we seek truth. Just don't take it from one source. In fact, uh, in the days we find ourselves living right now in the United States of America, our world is so interconnected. I want to not just hear it from one source. I want to hear it from multiple sources. But let's go back for a moment. Now, let's say that someone was this prophet. He, he prophesied something and it was, it was wrong then there would be two or three of those witnesses who would come. They would proclaim that. And then that prophet would literally be taken to the outside of town. And they would find a crevice, if you will, or a a platform of which would be eight to ten feet down from this ledge. And if they didn't have one, they would make a platform about nine feet high. And they would tie that victim, that false prophet in this case we talked about, tie his hands behind his back. And then that witness would push him off this ledge. Then the second witness then would take what is described as a boulder, a large rock, and literally throw it on him. And then the entire gathering, the entire community, would stone him until he was dead. Now, there's nothing nice about that. But that's the significance of prophecy and truth from God's perspective. That's why I don't think I'd sign up to be a prophet, unless God said you're a prophet. In fact, I'm not too sure that's why Isaiah and some of those others were were uh, not, not resistant, but reluctant to be a prophet. It was a heavy, heavy consequence if one wasn't listening to God directly. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 45 for a moment. Isaiah chapter 45. And let's look at verse 21. Now, what God is doing here is, you know, the the struggle has always been, by the way, in our nation as well today. Many idols, many opportunities to worship, many things. And God is saying here, I'll tell you what, this is a good proof to see how good your God is or your idol And he responds this way. Verse 21. uh, Tell you and bring them near. Speaking of these eyes. Bring them near. Yes. Let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord? There is no God else beside me. A just God, a Savior. There is none beside me. Chapter 46 and verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Turn back to chapter 41 and verses 22 and 23. Let them bring them forth and show us, this is verse 22, chapter 41 of Isaiah, and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things that they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and hold it together. Lord, he's saying... Bring those idols and let them speak to us and show us what's in the future. Let them tell us. Literally, that's the difference between a prophet that is getting his information from a false god. And we could go on. There could be necromancy. There could be channelers. There could be all sorts of ways. Fortune tellers. Uh, one of yesteryear, one that I grew up with in knowing, was Gene Dixon. And some of the older folks in the room are nodding. Not pointing you out. 
But uh, at any rate, I'm right there with you. But Jean Dixon was one that was known to be a tremendous prophetess or a teller of the fortunes, uh, the tellers of the future. She had two ways of doing it. One was through cards and one was through the crystal ball. She felt she was divinely gifted by God. So was she a prophet? That was a question that was, I remember she wrote books and it was all amazing. And I'm not going to bore you with how many she missed. But the one that I found the most interesting was on the very day that, uh, what was, um, oh, President Kennedy's wife. What was her? Jacqueline. Okay. Um, On the very day that she secretly married Onassis, on that day, Jean Dixon in the newspapers across the United States said, I hold firm that Jackie will never marry again. (laughs) Missed it by that much. (laughs) What do we say to that? False prophet. You're wrong once, you're wrong. That's important. And that also gives us a great deal of veracity from the qualifications of the scripture. Let's think a moment. I, I want to stretch your minds for a little bit in the sense of how extensive the chances would be for Scripture to be fulfilled prophetically. Let's say that um, you were flipping dimes or quarters, what coin of your choice, being two sides to it, tails and heads. If you flip the coin two times, there would be four possibilities. You could come up with heads two times. You could come up with tails two times, you could have heads first, tails second, or you could have tails first and heads last. That's that's the only possibilities. So literally, you would have one chance in four to get two heads in a row. Right? Now, do you know what the odds are if you wanted... I could go on and make this longer, but I'm not going to. I'm going to take you right to the cusp. Now, that was pretty small, but now I want you to expand your mind. I want you to get ready for what I'm going to tell you. What if we wanted to get a hundred consecutive tosses of a dime to end in heads. 100 straight, no tails in between. You'd have to hire Dominion servers. (laughs) And beyond. (laughs) And beyond. (laughs) I did not see that coming. That would be helpful. You could do it in 100 times if it was only a one-sided coin, but where there's two sides to a coin... How many people would you have to have flipping dimes to come up with the the chances of having a hundred consecutive flips? Four to the hundredth power. That's pretty close, actually. The real number that comes out is ten to the seventy-second power. Seventy-two zeros behind that. And you say that's not a number I work with a lot. That is not my bank account. That's not anyone's bank account for that matter. So to give you an idea now of how big that number really is, I'm going to have, let's work with, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Stars, stars, there we go. Stars that are in the Milky Way, which is just one galaxy. Just one galaxy, the Milky Way. There are supposed to be about 200 billion stars. Now, if we went ahead and put 4 billion people on each star, that's a lot of people. 
But that would actually only be 10 to the 20th power. <laughs> now let's put it in Bible prophecies. If you just wanted 30, I've told you there's about, there's, I really didn't tell you, there's over 650 prophecies in the scripture. That's enough to make sure that you get it right. Now, again, I would have to say there's 220, 225 that have not been fulfilled yet, still in the future for us. But I'm going to tell you what, if you turn around and you look at the track record, 100% right. I'm good with that. I'm going to go on. So if you had 30 prophecies, randomly by chance, that is the same number, 10 to the 72nd power, to get them all right. And you say the Bible's not true? Well, you do. You say it's okay. But if somebody tells me the Bible's not true, that is really the, the significance and the validation of prophecy about the Word of God. Daniel, almost all of this would have been future to him. We turn around and there's quite a bit of it that's history that lines up perfectly. Daniel was never wrong. Now, what they've tried to do is they've tried to make it look like Daniel wrote this after the fact. No. Prophecy is incredibly important. Incredibly important. Well, let's get on with it. Uh, as I've told you before, let's go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. And this is literally not just about the, the kings, if you will, the initial kingdoms. It's about the final kingdom of Christ being the final king. As we talk about this, there are things that we would want to say. The crowning of the king, the coronation, if you will. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7, and let's look at verse 9. Verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down. That's not necessarily cast down, but set in place. And the Ancient of Days did sit. That's God, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. What does that say? It's never going to end. It's never going to end. It goes on forever. Now, what do you know about the first kingdoms? Babylon lasted about 200 years. The next kingdom lasted about 200 years. The third kingdom lasted about... You guys are getting this. Look, look at how smart you're getting. Now, this is tricky, the last one. The fourth kingdom, that of the Roman king. We'll be talking about these in a moment. The fourth kingdom lasted approximately... And it's not over. In the, in the instance of it really having a, a ruler and reigning and Roman Empire was in charge probably about 1,500 years, and it's just kind of fell in diminishment, and it's still going today, but in a very, re, I guess, reduced stature. Now, Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign forever. Phase one is the millennium. For 1,000 years, you would think it's about as good as it gets, and then it gets better. Because it never ends. Think of that, of a two-phase, perfect, wonderful, God's in charge of all things for a thousand years initially, and then Satan is re re released for just a little bit. It says a short season. And guess what? A whole lot of people follow after him. Isn't it amazing? The human heart. 
Isn't it amazing? We always want to do the wrong thing. <laughs> we enjoy doing the wrong thing. But thankfully, there's coming a day. There is coming a day. All of those that are in Christ Jesus that have trusted Him, we will be as, as and with Him in His kingdom forever. So literally, that coronation making Christ the king, the character of that kingdom is one of which is authority, dominion it speaks of. He will rule as an absolute monarch. The extent will be complete global. It'll be, it'll be across, you talk, about a, you talk about a one world government, that's the one world government I want. I want to be part of that one where Jesus Christ is fully and completely in charge of all things, and it's perfect. That's my sense of a new world. The really cool thing is that the, that the people will respond in the same way. Look at, look at verse 14 one more time. There was given him dominion, that is authority, <coughs> and glory, and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. Think of that. Today we have, a, in, in America particularly, we have like this division that seems to be amazingly deep. <coughs> think of, did you hear what that said? Could you think of anything better than to have a monarchy and all people want to serve him? Does that not sound divine? It sounds so un-American today, doesn't it? But it sounds so godly. Well, when will this take place? Let's go to Acts chapter 1 because it's been on the minds of not only ourselves, because you probably have asked it, when is Christ coming back? Acts chapter 1. And let's look at verse 6. Now, this is uh, the time frame of this is obviously uh, Jesus Christ has been crucified. He was buried. He rose again. He's shown himself to the disciples and now close to Pentecost taking place. And he's got some final instructions. And in verse 6 of chapter 1 of Acts, there's a question. Now, before you, do, before you go there, think of this for a moment. Now, if you're a disciple, you've walked with him for three years. Remember? Remember the last time you communed with him? The last supper? The last time we were together in fellowship? When Jesus was alive. And then the next time you saw him, he was hanging on a cross. And then the next time you saw him, if you saw him, he was buried and taken into a sepulcher. And then the next time you saw him, he was alive. He was fully alive. And all of the disciples, uh, Thomas was the one that wasn't there initially, and of course he wouldn't believe it. Well, would you believe it? The disciples say, Jesus was here yesterday. Sure he was. Until I touch him and I put my hands in his wounds, I won't believe. And, you know, don't get all high and mighty. You probably would have said the same thing. <laughs> When's the last time you saw somebody rise from the dead? Right? But he had appeared to a number of people. He was alive. What would you think if you were his disciple? Is this the time? Do we, is the kingdom come now? What have we been doing? I'm ready for Jesus. I want to get out of here. <laughs> Watch what they say, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? It was a question on their mind. And, of course, what did he tell them? It's not for you to know the times or seasons. Anybody that picks a date, that date won't happen, okay? Just so you know. Go ahead and pick any date. 
You can do all the calculations. You can do all the stuff you want to do. I will guarantee you, because you picked that time and date, that will not be the time, because no one knows. Which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Oh, my goodness. And then he took, then he took off. That was it. That was the end of it. Nothing left. Jesus takes off. After, the question was, is this the time when, Israel, when the kingdom will come to Israel? He says those two sentences, those two verses, and poof, he takes off into heaven. And it's like, we didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> and think of how long it's been since he's been back. He hasn't. The next time he'll hit the, he'll hit the earth, it'll be at Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. His feet will touch the ground, and then he will be the king forever and ever, walking into the millennium phase one, at the end of the millennium, moves into eternity. That's when it happens. It hasn't happened yet. How close is it? Let's look at how John responded. Let's go all the way back to the last couple of verses of Revelation. John the Apostle, now he's one that had spent time with Jesus, had lived out a full and long life. And as he wrote the book of Revelation, he says in verse 20, these are the last two verses. It's been what, I mean, can you think of the, a journey that he had in the sense of visions of Revelation? He says this in verse 20, chapter 21, tw- chapter 22, I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 20, he which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. Those are Jesus's words. I'm coming. No question about it. Amen. And then John says, even so come. <laughs> he wants him to come. He's, he, it, and it's amazing. Every generation really has seen it as expecting Jesus to come. Now, for us, it's the sense of a rapture. I don't necessarily want to be, well, I won't be here, I'm convinced, from Revelation. In chapters 1 through 3, it talks about, chapters 2 and 3 particularly, Jesus is speaking to the church of different dispensations. And chapter 4 of Revelation begins what we would call that tribulation period, which literally four and five mark the same point of which Daniel introduces us to the ancient of days. You'll see the same thing of the, the handing off, if you will, to the kingdom in a couple of chapters. We'll be looking at hopefully later today. But in Revelation, let's see, where was I going with that now? Bruh. Oh, you, you don't, the church is completely gone from chapter four of Revelation till chapter 18. No church. Where are they at? They've left. They've been caught up, just as it says in, in Thessalonians, chapter, chapter 4, verse 17. You're not going to be here for the great tribulation. Now, there's tribulation going on. If you don't think so, you're not involved in the game. It's going to get worse. In fact, in the next few weeks, months, if there is even years, it's going to get severe. Mark it down. You can see already, again, and this isn't a new play. This is not a brand new play. This is what Satan has used all along. He's always done it, especially after the church was begun. Persecute, isolate, destroy. That's not new. He's done it forever. You can see the same things from Satan right now. Look at what happened to the churches across this nation. They are dying. Now, podcasts and recorded messages... You know, we do our best from here. That's not good enough. That's sometimes the best we can do. But literally, God wants us together. 
He wants fellowship amongst one. That's koinonia, to intimately be involved. That's God's way. Whose idea do you think this is for, to shut churches down? For any reason. That's Satan's idea. But let's keep moving. We're talking about Daniel, aren't we? Yeah, very good. Well, let's start in verse, let's go back to Daniel chapter 7, and let's read again verses 1 through 3. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. He's written this down. (laughs) Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. So we know this much, that Jesus is not going to return. He's not going to be the king until the end of the kingdoms of the nations. Now it says that there are four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. The great sea is literally a picture of humanity. All of humanity, and we say it in Revelation as well, when you see a sea... And he says the great sea, which he would picture in his mind, and the vision would have been the Mediterranean. The only seas that we have really in the scripture are the Sea of Galilee, which isn't very big, the Dead Sea, which isn't very big, the Red Sea, which is literally a very narrow channel almost, and then we have the Great Sea or the Mediterranean Sea. And if you look at that, if you, do, if you think and compare to the other three seas, the Mediterranean is the big deal, a really big deal. And he says the four winds have really of taking and blowing with a great deal of velocity and out of this turmoil of the human... And think of the sea as humanity. All of that wind, which is literally all of the elements of sin. When all of that is taking place, all of that turmoil, out of that comes four beasts, four kingdoms. And now he describes those for us. The first one, which Daniel would have known about, was the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Now, the the lion is the king of the beasts. The eagle is the king of the birds. Now, think of that. The king of kings, right? That was Nebuchadnezzar. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. Think of that. Here you've got this lion with wings. I'm just, a lion is good enough, is it not? But a lion with wings? And it says that they were plucked off. And then he stood up as a man and was given the heart of a man. And if you notice when we talked about Nebuchadnezzar, He thought he was really something. He was a lion with wings. He was an absolute in-control monarch. And then he said, this is the great Babylon I've built. And God said, I don't think so. And he went and ate grass like a cow for seven years. And then his mind was returned to him after he looked up and said, praise be to the almighty and awesome God. The second beast was like a bear. Verse 5. It raised up itself on one side and had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said unto... I don't know who they is. They said thus unto it. I have no idea who they is. Arise and devour much flesh. This is the picture of the Medes and Persians. Those three ribs are thought to be three kingdoms that they would have conquered. Babylon, Egypt, and uh, Lydia. Again, when you think of a a bear, I, I think of them in the light of which I know of. A bear that's taking down a cow or a sheep, unbelievably powerful. And just, I mean, just, I can't say any other, it's just evil almost the way it, and it's doing what it's built to do. A bear does what a bear does, right? I just assume they didn't do it with domesticated animals, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing uh, what, what a bear will do to a cow. I mean, just, just a, a mature cow, what they can do. 
And, and to give the strength of the Medes and Persians is it's very insightful. Very insightful. Then it says that there was a, another one. It was a, a, like a leopard, which would give indication. If, if you see a panther or a leopard, what would you say of that? What would be your first thought? Really fast, right? Yeah, get away. That's right. After this, I beheld verse 6, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon it the back of four wings of a fowl. Speaking of its, of its speed, the beast also had four heads. And dominion was given to them. That's really weird. How many, what, how's, your, how's your vision looking like? You got this leopard with four wings and you got four heads on the leopard. Urgh, that's a beast. Well, again, see, history, history total. Now, to, to, to Daniel, what do you think he's seeing? This was troubling, wouldn't it? I mean, how would you see that? And you're like, what? He knows about Nebuchadnezzar. He knows about Babylon. He knows from his, that from his dream that there's other kingdoms coming. But see, Daniel had no idea about the Medes and Persians right now. He had no idea about the, the Greece kingdom, which just fits perfectly. Alexander the Great, he talked about sweeping the earth in speed and lightning-like speed. At 33, he had conquered the world, and he was just bored. In fact, he died an alcoholic. He was just out of his mind. Is there no more worlds to conquer? That's what he said repeatedly. But the, what's the four heads thing? What's that about? Well, when he died, there was four generals. <coughs> Or four under-sheriffs, however you want to say it. I would say four governors, four commanders. One of them was Cassander, and he was uh, left with Macedonia and Greece. Lysimachus was left with Thrace and Asia. Seleucus got Syria and the Middle East, and Ptolemy ended up with Egypt. So the entire Greece kingdom was split four ways. Isn't it amazing how, how history completely defines that exactly that way? And then we have the last one, which caused Daniel even more trouble. Verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and had great iron teeth. It devoured, break in pieces, stamped the residue with the feet of it. It was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Oh, my goodness. How are you doing? This is a picture of the Roman Empire. Started about 261 B.C. as it conquered Sicily. And it was probably a composite of all of those others. When you think about the Roman Empire and its strength and its overall arching power, it was amazing. And it hasn't died yet. It has not been literally conquered. There's ten horns. We'll be talking more about this in chapters down the line, but there will come a time, and we're, see, this is where we're at right now. This is right where we're at in this dream. The ten horns would be ten kings. It would be in a revived Roman Empire. I don't know who those ten are. So if we don't know who they are, that means that we're waiting for it. But they will come, they will rise, and then out of the middle of those ten, three will be taken out, subdued, and there's going to be one that peacefully comes up, <coughs> and all of a sudden takes control of everything. Who is that? That is the Antichrist. He's the one that John spoke of in Revelation. The Antichrist. Now, so if we were going to do this, uh, we know that Jesus Christ is not going to come until the last kingdom exits. But he's not even going to come until after the last form of the last kingdom comes. 
Who is going to be the last leader of this Antichrist? Let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 13 for a moment. Uh, before you do that, you're still in Daniel chapter 7. Let's look at a couple other verses that define him for us. Verse 8, it says, I considered the horns. He's looking at these horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes, that's wisdom, like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 20, of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Verse 24, and the ten kings out of this kingdom are ten, I'm sorry, the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them. He shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. Let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 13. And let's look at a, a picture of this guy. Is he living? Well, none of you are taking a heavy shot at that. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 5. There was given unto him... Oh, we should go back to verse 4. I'm sorry. They worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast... The beast is the Antichrist. They worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. How long is forty and two months? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. One thing we'll find out about this Antichrist is the fact that he will be a, a political genius. Uh, write this down in your notes, like Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It talks about this one coming, a picture of the Antichrist, and he comes with a bow, but he's not talked of having any arrows. So that means the guy isn't, I mean, he is smooth. He is so smooth that literally he just kind of rises out of nowhere. and doesn't even have to fire a shot. He's in charge. He's an oratorical genius. He's a political genius. He can make peace in the Middle East. In fact, in Daniel chapter 9, well, don't go there, but in Daniel chapter 9, we, Daniel was given even further insight that he's going to make a peace treaty with the entire Middle East, or a seven-year pact at the beginning of the tribulation. Now, how long have those peace treaties lasted thus far? Not very long. But he's so smooth that he can get it all done. He sells it to the world. He's also a military genius. If you're in Revelation, let me get back there. Are you still in Revelation chapter 13? Go there if you're not. And if you are, just hang on and wait for me to get there. Revelation chapter 13. Let's look at verses 4 as well. They worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast. They worship the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with them? I mean, he's militarily, once he's gotten in position, those last three and a half years, he totally, totally takes control. In fact, look at verse 7. It was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Whoa. Now, if, you're, if you can't see a bit of a problem coming for Christians in the world right now, you're not tuned in. Persecution across the world has, for Christians has always been at a high level. I think we're very close to Christians being persecuted within our own nation. We're close. You can feel it. You can feel it at every level. It's encroaching. And yet, God is there. God is in charge. 
We also know that he's a commercial or an economic genius. Um, it's almost frightening to the point of which he will go. Turn with me to uh, the same chapter, Revelation chapter 13, and let's look at verse 16. He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, that's pretty much everybody, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark, or the number of the beast, or the number of his name. Again, I've never seen more clarity in the year 2021 looking back on what that mark of the beast could be. Right? And look what's happened in the last number of months in the sense of control. I'm going to say crowd control. (laughs) They speak. We're expected to listen. What is it that they will bring aboard that will literally say, you need to do this or you can't buy or sell? You take very little imagination. There's one right now, vaccinations. I'm just saying. But what I'm trying to say is, is they, they have a system really in place right now that this is all right around the corner. I'm not saying it is, but have you ever seen it look more clear? I haven't. I remember as a child, I was trying to think, well, who would go get 666 put in your forehead? Why would you do that? In fact, <laughs> would you want 666 on your license plate even? <laughs> could go on about that, but I won't. But it's more, it's, it's much, much deeper than that. But look at uh, the significance of, he's going to be a religious genius as well. Go back to Daniel for a moment. Oh, you're, go back to verse 8, I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says this, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Think of that. Whose name, oh, there's a comma. Isn't that good? There's a comma there. Whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Because that will truly be a division. In the tribulation, there's going to be an absolute split decision. There's going to be those that trust the Lamb. That don't have the mark of the beast. Because if you have the mark of the beast, right there that verse says, your name is not written in the book of the Lamb. You're not written in the book of the Lamb. You're not going to heaven. You're not part of God's kingdom. All of those, in fact, we go back to chapter 19, all of those that had the mark of the beast. And this is, there's a, there's a part of this that is very bittersweet. If you have the mark of the beast, anyone, that is a ticket straight into the lake of fire. Because you made a choice. Anybody that says the tribulation, well, I'll get saved in the tribulation. No, it's not going to be that simple. Can you be saved? There's a myriad of people that are saved because there's 144,000 evangelists that God saves 12,000 out of each tribe, but literally do spread the gospel across the world. And the Jews are the first and foremost preeminent focus of what God's doing. But I'm going to tell you something. To live and survive is going to be more difficult than you can even possibly imagine. The Antichrist. So in other words, not only is Christ not going to come until the last kingdom is gone, And not only the last form of the last kingdom, and not only the last ruler of the last form of the last kingdom, but he will come at the end of the last persecution of the last ruler of the last form of the last kingdom. So Jesus Christ literally, now this is second coming, don't don't misunderstand me, this is not the rapture, I'm not talking about the rapture. The second coming is still a ways away. 
But I can see foreshadowing of it all the time. You can see those shadows lengthening. You know how, you know how sometimes you can tell if something's coming, you see the shadow? That's really what the law was. It was a foreshadowing of Christ. There's all kinds of shadows in the Scripture. In 2021, I'm here to say that there's a shadow of the last ruler, of the last kingdom. Is he alive? I don't know. Is the spirit of Antichrist here? Alive and well. Alive and well. I'm, I am taken back as I, this is a little bit of an aside, but I, as I've studied in the last, I would say, number of months, because I would advise you now, especially in these next coming days and weeks, do not waste your time in looking at major media. Don't even look at it. You will not get the truth. They cannot give it to you. So having said that, I've been spending an enormous amount of time, literally, trying to find the truth. Because again, I, people really need the truth. Today, it's hard to find. It will be extraordinarily hard to find in those days that are coming up. The Antichrist, he will have his channel. And that's it. His channel. He's fully in charge of all of that. Propaganda channel. It's not going anywhere. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 7 and look at what he's even going to try to do. Is He's going to try to even change the laws and the times. I'm not sure what that all entails, but verse 25 of Daniel chapter 7. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. In other words, you can. I, I think I'm safe in saying this, but wouldn't you say as there's a com continual a walking away or a separation from God's laws, even in the Ten Commandments, out of our capitals, out of our judicial halls, what is that? That's trying to get away from the things that really God set governments upon. Antichrist is going to be really good at it. He's going to be dividing all of the things that we stand for. We being what God has laid out as laws. How will he rule? Uh, just exactly like godless, Satan-inspired Luciferians rule by, and that is within justice, seizing of property, physical punishment. If you fail to comply, you won't be able to buy and sell. And then if you refuse to bow down to him or his image, you again will be held accountable. Verse 9. I beheld, I'm back in Daniel, I'm sorry, where you got, uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, let's go back there. Are you all there? Uh, Daniel, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, or actually means to be set up or placed in position. And the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame. His wheels as burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered on him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Time's up. It's over. Nothing to discuss. It's done. That's literally how it works. All of those kingdoms God gave permission. Babylon was given permission. The Medes and Persians were given permission. 
Greece was given permission. The Romans have been given permission. The Antichrist would be allowed. I don't understand all of that, but God's not, oh, I was, you know, I just could not handle that little weasel, that Antichrist. It just took me about, you know, three and a half years to finally rein him in. No, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. In fact, it's amazing how many times humans have to go through hard things to do the right things. Tribulation is exactly that I was describing for the Jews. <laughs> they just cannot get it, can they? We spoke of it a couple of weeks ago, but there's three kinds of people on the earth, and literally always have been. Those that hate or want to destroy God or Christ, those that ignore Him, and those that want to worship Him. The Jews, it tells us in Zechariah, that literally one-third of them will be left. Those that start in the tribulation, you get to the beginning of the millennium, there's a third of them left. Isn't that something? Christ will rule and reign, and there's a great deal of sweetness in that. But there's a part of that that does, it's sad, isn't it? God is so forbearing. He's so long-suffering. He wants that all would come to repentance. I think of Noah, 120 years. He told Noah, I'm, gonna, I'm done. I'm done. In fact, it seems to me it almost fits where we're at societally today. And our world is very close in the sense of what communication has done for it. As you look around the communications and all of the ins and outs, we literally have become one world in the sense of how quick we are to be able to communicate with one another. Look at, look at I just thought of this. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, the way it's described, um, verse 5. This is uh, the time of the flood, if you will. In verse 5, this is what God said. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I'm here to say I don't think we're too far away from that. I'm amazed at what power does and what money and wealth does in the sense of corruption. And the onslaught against innocent, helpless lives. The magnitude of pedophilia across this globe is unimaginable. What is God thinking and saying? There's an end coming, and he will rule and reign at the end. It's not up for discussion. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. That final judgment is coming from the ancient of days. I was just thinking uh, how pertinent it is that we're literally in Daniel watching this unfold. These days in which we find ourselves living right now, they're exciting. And there's a part of it that's very interesting. Where are we at in the sense of the kingdom? Well, I've described for you already. The ten kings have not been described. They've not been unfolded. Are they in place? Could be. But we don't see them. But I'll tell you what we do see. Is we see a godlessness. A rampant sense of godlessness. How do we respond? What do we do in times like this? I mean, fear, I see it everywhere, particularly now. There's an upheaval in the sense of our political climate and all of the things going on around our world that are just totally and completely out of control. I, I can't say it any other way, and the division is insane. 
It's insane. I was actually texting uh, with uh, David White, and uh, something popped out to me as I said that. But first of all, let's go to First Peter. All right, before we do that, no, that's okay. I got three verses that I want to work with. Let's go to First Peter. Let's do what I said first. First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five, and we'll read verses uh, seven. Actually, we'll start in verse six. First Peter chapter five. He's he's winding down this epistle that Peter, you know, the guy that denied Christ three times. My, did he make a nice comeback? You've had a if you had something a past something in your past that you just say, oh, could God ever forgive me? I'll tell you what, Peter must have thought that as he denied Christ for the third time. And then one of the gospels that said that Jesus looked at him. And it said Peter went on and wept. I'm not talking just crying a little bit. That must have been amazing. The depth of sorrow that he must have felt right now. I, I, I've denied the one that I've walked with and said I was going to die for. But look at what he writes. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now watch verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. One of the things that sometimes even keeps me going as I'm telling you this, if you're a Christian, if you're in Jesus Christ, and you're having a time when it looks like things aren't very good and it just seems like an onslaught from the enemy, you're not alone. Now, Satan wants you to think that because the more alone, the more isolated, the more by yourself he can make you, the less secure you feel in faith. That's one of the reasons that we're asked to come together and to commune together and to koinonia together. There's energy that Jesus Christ, in the sense of the Spirit using the Word, gives to us when we're abiding in the vine. And it literally gives us fuel and energy to go on about the day and the week. When we're isolated, dangerous place to be. Faith. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 because I think this is where, literally, we need to park. When we're done with the, with the study in uh, Daniel... This is where I believe God is taking us. We'll take several weeks in going through this, but I'd like to just read this passage for you. If you, you tell me if this doesn't fit perfectly in where we are today as a Christian in the country we find ourselves. Verse 10, chapter 6 of Ephesians. Fine, oh, before, we, before we say finally, I mean, it seems odd. You're in Ephesians, boom, we go to finally. Ephesians, what's Ephesians about? If you were going to say in two words, what is Ephesians about? It is, okay. Um, In two words, we can describe Ephesians. Let me tell you what that might be. In Christ. It's about being in a relationship with him. And for the first three chapters, it would be the sense of positionally, Paul walks you through the importance of being in Christ, of accepting him, what you're in him, in Christ, in whom. All of those things are in your seal of the Holy Spirit in chapter 1, verse 14. And then the last three chapters are all about practically. And, and Paul does that. First of all, if you aren't thinking right, you can't live right. So let's get the thinking right. It's kind of a good way to start, isn't it? Even as you're, as you're growing kids. Get them to think right. Then they can live right. If you try to force them to live right without getting them to believe right, you know what usually happens? Rebellion. 
It's the way it works. You got to get the inside working to make the outside work. And Paul is a very much the same way. He, he unfolds for us the importance positionally so that we can live practically. So now he comes to the end of this. Now he's really, it's like rubber meeting the road. And he says, finally, verse 10, finally, my brethren, he's speaking to Christians, be strong in your own strength. Is that what it says? No. Thankfully, it doesn't say that because that's what sometimes we want to be. We want to be a man and we're going to just take it on. And we're, is now we are without Christ. We're tough. No. Now, remember we read in Hebrews chapter 11 a couple weeks ago? In their weakness, they were made strong because of God's strength. <laughs> That's exactly it. It says to be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor. How many of you put the whole armor on and you just go out with one piece? Oh, let me just, I read one verse in the Bible. Let me, let's just grab that helmet for a second. See you later, honey. It's like going to a professional football game and, you're, and the other team is professional. They're suited up on a little You came in a t-shirt and underwear. You're going to get slaughtered. Satan attacks the same way. You're going to go to a battle with Satan and you're not fully armored up. <laughs> no wonder you don't want to go back the next day. Right? This is a war. It's spiritual warfare. In America right now, it's not between... In fact, we're going to keep reading. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's not about men and women. Men against men, women against women, or personality. No, no. It's much, much deeper than that. It's the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. It was good, and it was evil. That's going to be right to the very end. We've been talking about all of those kingdoms. It's the same battles all the time. Good versus evil. The really good part is God wins. It's not even in question. Not even a concern. I can tell you, I have full confidence in the word of God and prophecy. I, I took quite a bit of time on that today because if God would have been wrong one time, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't even expect you to be here today. In fact, I'd advise you not to be here today because it'd be a joke. But it's not a joke. It's perfectly lined up, 100% accurate, what a position for us to be. There shouldn't be fear. There should be trust. Trust more, fear less. That should be our motto. Our world, our world is messy. I would imagine. Nobody called me. How many got into a den of lions this last week? I don't know because nobody called me. But there was a day or two it felt like it. But right, right. But you know what? What did Daniel do? He trusted more and feared less. What are we supposed to do? Trust more. Fear less. Depend more on God. Less on ourselves. Let's keep reading, though, because this is the picture we see now, not only in our country, across the world. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why? Before we wrestle, verse 12, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is a spiritual battle. He goes on, I'm going to read through verse 20, because he puts the pieces together. Wherefore, because of that, because it is a spiritual battle, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. We're not running away. Stand firm. 
Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Ah, is that not the thing that's probably the most absent in our world today? Truth. May truth prevail. May it reign. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, this is really important, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That shield of faith knocks all those fiery darts, all of those doubts. You know what? You know what? If you don't have that, if you don't have that shield of faith, you know what happens when he when he wings a dart of doubt? Oh! He'll take you down. That shield of faith is absolutely imperative. <coughs> it's imperative. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, and therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. If that is not a mission call to us today, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, or 20, I guess, because it's... Is it 20? can't even read it. Oh, I got my glasses. 20. It surely should be. I'm going to ask you to read that passage of Scripture every single day this coming week. I want that to be so carefully ingrained in you that you have a waking moment and you are ready to get after the battle that is God's. The battle that is the Lord's of which we cannot lose. Trust more, fear less. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 41 briefly. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. This verse is the other one that I would like you to become part of your memory. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Isaiah lived in times in which there was a tremendous amount of problems. And he says this. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yes, I will help thee. Yes, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That verse covers it all. It gets it done. I don't know where we will be politically next week. I don't know where we will be in a lot of ways in our world even just seven days from now. But I can assure you that that verse is a fixture fixture that we can hold and cling to, whether it's a den of lions, whether it's complete chaos, whether it's out-of-control political events, whether whatever it might be, we can trust and not fear because God is completely and 100% in control. And he's proven it by literally having prophecy be fulfilled 100% true. We have nothing to fear. And we have God we can trust in, a God we can trust in all things. Stand firm. Be vigilant. Be sober. Cast your cares on Jesus Christ because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. 
Thank you for being completely in control. Father, we would pray for our nation. We would pray for our leaders. We would pray, Father, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored. Father, thank you for revealing through Daniel 2,600 years ago that things will unfold just exactly as you said they would because you are omnipotent, the power to fulfill, and omniscient, knowing all things. As Daniel would have unfolded this, even for us today, we unpack it and it fits beautifully within Revelation. Father, may you not only encourage us with the knowledge and the foretelling of prophetic word, but Father, may you also instill within us understanding and strength for the days before us. May we trust more and fear less. May we be careful to look around us, seeing those that are in need, those that need encouragement, that maybe need to know about Jesus. I can see a lot of difficulties coming in our nation. The sense of resisting truth for so long has seeds to bear. God is not mocked. We will reap what we sow. But Father, you are also long-suffering that none, that all would come to repentance and that none would perish. That's the beautiful part of the love that you have wrought in Jesus Christ. I would ask for each one of these dear ones here today, those that are in the hearing of my voice, that as we go through what would seem as a very tenuous time frame, not understanding, not knowing exactly what may transpire, we do know, we do understand that we are yours if we're in Christ. We are safe in your hands. We are completely eternally secure because of what Jesus accomplished. Our debt is canceled. It is paid in full. Not because of who we or what we did, but because of whose we are. Thank you, Father, for that gift. We also pray, Father, in these times that look to be very upheavaling, challenging in almost unknown ways at this point, we would ask, Father, as well, that we would be a light. We would shine, particularly to those that are looking for truth. Father, we pray that truth would reign and justice would reign now and forever. We know ultimately, Father, as the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which comes at the very end, it will never end either. We look to that ultimately. In the meantime, help us, Father, to occupy, to be faithful, to be strong in the, will, in the might of the, of the Lord and put on the whole armor. Father, help us suit up. Help us to get ready for what's coming. Father, we rest in you knowing that you care for us, you love us, Jesus died for us. And we're waiting for the day when we will meet you in heaven. We ask you in Christ's name.